podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC. On a Monday after Liverpool 3, Nottingham Forest 2 in the Premier League at Anfield. A game in which the Reds were less than inspiring but managed to get the win, which is the all-important thing. Three points is all that matters at this stage of the season as we try and chase a Europa League spot to try and rescue something from this season. Because at least if we're in the Europa League for next season, we could go and try and win it. And while people say Liverpool have won the lot under Jurgen Klopp, the fact is we haven't because we didn't win the Europa League the last time we were in it under Jurgen Klopp losing the final. This would be a nice way to finish off the set. It is a trophy that's been important in our history. It's a trophy that we have valued throughout the history of Liverpool. Bill Shankly won it and it was kind of the first real notice that Liverpool were going to be a force in Europe was to win the UEFA Cup as it was at the time. Uh, We won it in 72-73. We won it again in 75-76. And then obviously it was part of the treble under Gerard Houllier, which again kind of marked our return to European significance. We had become through the 90s, a really bad team when it came to European competition. And you only need to go back and look at what we what we did in those years. And for those who are old enough to remember, you remember the massively disappointing European campaigns. There's a couple of great moments put in there, of course. But you look at 91-92, we played Kusisi Lati, a Finnish team. We beat them, 6-1 at home, lost 1-0 away, went through comfortably. Then we played Auxerre, went to, lost 2-0 in the first leg away, legendary night at Anfield, winning 3-0 in the home leg. We beat Swarovski Tyrrell from Austria, 6-0 in the third round, and in the quarterfinal, we lost to a, Genef- a Genoa team with... Can't think of the guy's name. A check for Thomas. Thomas something. What was his name? I have to find it. They had Branco, the Brazilian left back, and this immense starting number nine who largely battered us. Thomas Scaravi. That was him. And he just dominated us in those two games. So we go out there in the quarterfinals. 
we go into the 92-93 season. We're in the Cup Winners' Cup, having won the FA Cup. We beat Apple and Limassol in the first round, and we lose 6-2 on aggregate to Spartak Moscow in the next round. 93-94. We don't have any European football because Graeme Souness had made such a mess of the previous season and was then sacked in this season. Uh, we go into 94-95. Again, there's no European football for Liverpool. 96-97, we're back under Roy Evans. We get past Spartak Vladikavkaz, beat them 2-1 away, draw 0-0 at Anfield. And then we go out to Bronby, which was just unimaginable. 96-97, we're back in the Cup Winners' Cup. We beat Maipa from Finland, 4-1 on aggregate. We beat Sion from Switzerland, 8-4 on aggregate. We beat Bran from Norway. Everybody remember the Robbie Fowler goal. Uh, we beat them 4-1 on aggregate. And then we go out 3-2 against PSG. We lost the first leg 3-0. Almost managed a famous comeback at Anfield, but fell short. And we go out 3-2 on aggregate. Uh, in 97-98, we're in the UEFA Cup. We beat Celtic on away goals. 2-2 up there. 0-0 at Anfield. McManaman was incredible up there. We go out of the competition. And then Strasbourg beat us 3-0 in the away leg. <clears throat> before a 2-0 win in the home leg. Almost gets us back into it, but not quite enough. 98-99, again, we're in the UEFA Cup. We beat Kosis from Slovakia, 8-0 on aggregate. We draw 0-0 at home with Valencia. We draw 2-2 away and go through and away goals. And then we lose to Celta Vigo, 4-2 on aggregate. And they beat us at Anfield as well. In um, 99-2000, we had no European football. That is a horrendous run for a club of our stature who, prior to that run, the last time we'd been seen in Europe, we were the dominant team in Europe. 2000-2001, we go on and win the UEFA Cup under Gerard Houllier. An absolutely incredible run. We knock out Rapid Bucharest, we beat Slovan Leberic, we beat Olympiacos, we beat Roma. We beat Porto, we beat Barcelona, and then we beat Alaves in the final. That was one of the great years to be a Liverpool fan. Uh, having had such a torrid time in the 90s, we managed to win a treble and finish fourth in the league and get ourselves... Sorry, we finished third in the league because there was only three Champions League spots at the time. We finished third in the league, uh, only one point behind a really good Arsenal team. and we get ourselves into the Champions League for the first time. We hadn't been in that competition before under the new setup of it. So that was a great season. And Julier, to his credit, had back-to-back great seasons. We were phenomenally good in 0-1-0-2 as well. The famous 10 games from greatness, unfortunately, uh, didn't quite pan out for us. But, um, you know, we finished second in the league. We had an incredible second half to the season. 
from the 22nd of January on that year. In our last 15 games, we won 13, lost 1, and drew 1. It was really, really impressive. Um, but yeah, anyway, the point was the, the Europa League, it's not to be sniffed at. It's not what we want. Obviously, it's not what we want. But it is a competition worth going into and winning. Because it's a competition that, like I say, we have had good history with. We have valued this competition in the past. And everybody remembers that final against Alaves. Everybody who's old enough, obviously, those who are not old enough clearly will not. But we were that that season just relaunched us back into the relevancy. It was it was Bob Paisley's first European trophy. It was Bill Shankly's only European trophy. I, I don't see why we would turn our noses up at it at this point. It's always been a vital trophy for us. Beat Bruges 4-3 in the Paisley final on aggregate, 3-2 at home, uh, 1-1 away, back in the good old days when it was two legs. And under Shanks, we beat Borussia Mönchengladbach, who were probably the best team in Europe at the time, 3-0 in the final, uh, 3-0 at home, and then lost 2-0 away, but managed to, to hold on. I'd like to see us go and win it. I really would like to see us go and win it next season. If we're in the Conference League, I don't want anything to do with that because that's just a nonsense. But if you're if we're in the Europa League, I, I do want us to go and win it. Uh, on to this is Anfield. Future expectations and the defence. Three questions and two positives for unpredictable unpredictable Liverpool. Liverpool fans all say the same about special Moises Caicedo. Uh, there's actually a tweet from myself in here um Moises Caicedo should undeniably be our top midfield target this summer he is ideal to fit in to whatever system or shape you want he is so malleable it's ridiculous and whether we want to put him in where Fabinho is currently playing in this new three box three whether we wanted to go back to the old 4-3-3, he can fit in perfectly, either as a six, a defensive midfielder and a double pivot, or as the left-sided one in our old-fashioned three, what we used to do. I understand why everybody wants Alexis McAllister. I would like us to sign Alexis McAllister, but I would rather sign him, even if it's 90 million versus 60 for Alexis. I would rather sign Caicedo for the 90. I don't care what the price is. He's 21. He won't turn 22 till late this year. He's already one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. Yesterday, he dominated Casemiro. Dominated him. Was the best player in the park for my money. Whether it's his ball winning, whether it's his usage of the ball, how clever he is, how well he tracks runners the athleticism and aggressiveness in this game. And it's all done with this deadpan expression. He's just so calm. Nothing seems to phase him. Nothing rattles him. We could have signed him 
Now, this is not one of the, oh, you know, we should have signed him when he was going to Brighton. We could have signed him when he was going to Brighton. We had looked at him and we decided to let him go and develop somewhere else. And now if we turn around and say, oh, yeah, but he's now too good and too expensive, that's just, it shows massive flaws with how Jurgen is allowing things to take place at Liverpool. Moises Caicedo, for me, should be target number one over Jude Bellingham, over Alexis, over Mount. I don't care who else. I would rather sign him than sign, say, Alexis and Gravenberch. I would rather have Moises Caicedo. He's that good. Um, Liverpool, nine points off top four after Spurs, 20 million. <laughs> 21-minute humiliation. That might be the worst I've ever seen a team play for 20 minutes. On the flip side, Newcastle were brilliant, but that was that was atrocious. Um, Liverpool still have three European options for next season. I think Jürgen still thinks we can get into the Champions League. Liverpool cannot rely on superhuman favours, but it would not hurt. Jota's resurgence as Red's book fragility trend. I don't think we booked much of anything, to be honest. Uh, Mo Salah proud of latest Liverpool record, but wants to break more. His goal scoring is just out, outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. So a few other good bits there. On this is Anfield to check those out. We'll go to Liverpool.com. Jose Mourinho has already endorsed Jurgen Klopp's ideal Liverpool air with future prediction. This is Javi Alonso. Um, I mean, if Jurgen does stay until 2026, which right now I wouldn't suggest is a definite, then if Alonso has done really well at Leverkusen, he would absolutely have to be high on the list of people to bring in to replace him. Um, but if it's before that, I just don't think Alonso will be ready. And I know people will say, oh, look at Arteta. It took, look, look how long it's taken Arteta. Look how much money Arteta has spent. And let's not judge too much on one season where it looks like Arsenal are going to bottle the Premier League. Let's wait and see how he does next season when there's actual expectation and pressure on him. There's plenty of other managers that became that that jumped to a big club early in their career. Andre Villas-Boas was the Andre Villas-Boas was the top young manager in world football, and he went to Chelsea, and it it spoiled the rest of his career. <clears throat> it really did. He's had some success, but that that Chelsea thing still hangs over him. People still talk about it. There's been lots of really good young managers have jumped too quickly to a massive job and it just it's caused them to fold under the pressure Nagelsmann wasn't nearly ready for the Bayern job and you see the results uh, Supercomputer predicts Liverpool's Champions League chances after Nottingham Forest win what is this then oh it's 538 
Uh, they say Liverpool's chance of finishing in the top four has risen to 10% <clears throat> from the 7% it was at. We would be heavily relying on Manchester United putting together uh, an all-time stinker of a finish to a season. But it is definitely possible. Um, Liverpool has held talks with 21 million USMNT star weeks after Jurgen Klopp personal request. That's a picture of a very good player in Yunus Musa. And if Valencia go down, I do think Yunus Musa would make a lot of sense for us as a cheap option in midfield. I think he's a good player. He'll also count as homegrown once he comes of age. And, you know, if you're signing Caicedo and that's going to limit some of what's left, he makes a lot of sense. If you got Caicedo, Mount and him, that's a better three than Mount, Alexis and Gravenberch, even if it might be 20 million more. It's a better midfield three. Uh, there is news about Mason Mount. David Ornstein has said today that Todd Bowley has personally spoken to Mount and that the mood inside Chelsea around Mount has has improved and they believe there might actually be a chance that he will sign a new contract there. Obviously, we're keen on him and I think he'd be a really good signing. He's a very, very good player. I think he could add a lot of goals and assists to our midfield, which is something we've lacked. I think he adds work rate, which we have lacked this season. And given his age, there's every chance he's going to improve significantly over the next couple of years. Considering he'd be entering what should be a more stable environment. I mean, he made his Chelsea debut under Lampard, having spent a couple of years on loan, one at Derby, one at Vietas Arnhem, both of which, by the way, he excelled at. Walked into the Premier League and looked like he'd been there for years. Excelled under Lampard. Thomas Tuchel took over. He excelled under him. He was their player of the season for two straight years. He was the best player in their European Cup winning team in that run to the final. And the final, he was their best player. Um, It hasn't worked out for him under Graham Potter. Because I don't think Potter really knew how to use him. And obviously now he's got Frank back, so, you know, PE teachers all day. But that's a lot of upheaval for a player at his age to have worked at that many clubs under those many managers. I think if you put him into a stable environment where he knows he's going to be for the next four or five or six years, I really do think you get the best of him. Um, So I'd be very much in favour of signing Mount. But if Chelsea can get him re-signed, then we'll have to just look elsewhere. Also in that Ornstein piece, and I've gotten a bit of stick on Twitter for this today, but I don't care. I, I'll back this all day long. Ornstein said that Arsenal have a, come to a mutual agreement with Ainsley Maitland-Niles not to trigger the extension year in his contract, which will make Ainsley Maitland-Niles a free agent this summer. And I stand by my statement on Twitter that he would be a clever signing for us on a free. As a replacement for Milner, who can be a backup to Trent and also fit into a number of other positions if needed I think Ainsley Maitland-Niles makes a lot of sense for us the wages wouldn't be wouldn't be huge he's homegrown which Jürgen seems to want he's a better player than Conor Gallagher and I'll die on that hill 
He's got versatility. He's got quality on the ball. He's not Trent on the ball, obviously, but he's solid on the ball and he's good defensively. I think as a backup to Trent, who can also fill in another couple of positions, I think he makes a lot of sense. We need to do a lot this summer. We need a backup right back. I think a starting left back. We'll probably need a backup goalkeeper because Kelleher will probably go. We need at least one centre-back. Ideally two, but if the left-back who comes in is also a centre-back, then we'll get away with one. We need three in midfield, and that's assuming Curtis Jones sticks around, gets real minutes next season. And you could argue we need one in attack as well because Bobby's going, but we could let that one slide for a year. But three midfielders, a centre-back, a left-back, a right-back, and a goalkeeper, there, there's no... There's no argument made that we don't need those players. We absolutely need those players. And not all of them can be star names. Not all of them can cost 30, 40, 50 million. Some of them are going to have to be bargains. It's one of the reasons I've suggested Ola Aina in the past. Because he would be on a free. And his wages would be low, so the signing on fee would be low. And he counts as homegrown. And worst case scenario, you turn around in two years and you sell him for a profit. And that's the same situation with Ainsley Maitland-Niles. And I would take Maitland-Niles over Aina because he's got more versatility to his game. Even though Aina is a better right back by being a natural right back. I think in the, the Trent role, whether that's the new Trent role or the old Trent role, I do think Maitland-Niles is someone that makes more sense in that position. And on a free, I think it's a no-brainer. He has been one of the very few players at Southampton this year that can hold his head up and say he's had a half-decent season. Southampton have been turgid this year, but he's actually done okay when he's been given opportunities. And he's filled in as and when they needed wherever they needed, and never once complained about it. He did pretty well at Roma when he went there. was an important part of their squad. Mourinho loved him. Wenger loved him back in the day. Unai Emery liked him. He's worked with really good managers, and they've all thought highly of him. He was good in his loan spell at West Brom as well, to be fair. I'd be in favour. I'd be in favour of bringing him in on a free. The contract won't be huge. What's the risk? What's the downside to a move like that? Um, On to AnfieldIndex.com then. And there are a couple of pieces... Up on the website, we have a deeper look into Liverpool's torrid history of loans, uh, which you can check out. That was written by Ben Poscod. Pescod, sorry, Ben, I continue to butcher your name. It is Pescod. Um, there's a scouting report on Julian Timber, which was put together by David Davis. There is a couple of pieces post-Forest, which are obviously worth a quick look if you uh, if you want to have a look at them. There's a piece about how the All-Manchester FA Cup final 
boosts Liverpool's European um, European chances. Jota praises Red's resilience after Downing Forest. That was put together by the news team, which is headed by Daniel Rhodes, uh, as was a piece regarding Virgil's comments on Mo. Podcast-wise, there was no Nina Kaiser show at the weekend, but there was a post-match Raw. There's also a new minefield out, which is brilliant, so give that a listen. And um, yeah, if you haven't listened to the last Mo be on the spot, give that a listen as well. Right, that will do me for today. And I will see you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement. And we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.